I love a gin Holton, a gin Holton. Oh, that a is little play there. Uh, three blue cheese stuffed olives and some nice Bombay Sapphire gin on the rocks. Hold the vermouth. Wow, the gin Holton. The gin Holton, or as my wife says it, you just want gin on the rocks. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Are we big enough? Is our podcast big enough to have to call it the big game? Or can we call it the the S word? I think you probably should call it the Super Bowl. Okay. Because legally you get flagged if you use that term. But are we big enough to have to call it the big game? You know about this? What? <laughs> Everyone calls it the big game because you can't use the term Super Bowl because it's trademarked or whatever. So you would get like copyright claims or something if you say Super Bowl. Is our podcast big enough to have to say the big game? I don't have an answer for that. Okay. Have you ever heard someone call the Super Bowl the big game? As an alternative? Yes. To calling it the Super Bowl? Joe, back me up here. Yes, what you're talking about is a thing. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I'm being gaslit right now. Anyway, what are you doing for the are you Super using, Bowl? Are you using that term right? I Yes. <laughs> Am I being gaslit about using that term? Gaslighting? Uh, what are your plans for the Super Bowl, Justin? Oh, the big game? We're going to watch it. My son is super into sports now. He's disappointed. He's a huge Bengals fan. Ah, Joe Largely, Burrow. I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan. He's I, I like that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just really into black and orange. Oh. Uh, and so that was his team. He was excited about them, and it was close. It was disappointing that they that they did not make it back to the big game, as I believe it's that is how it's commonly referred, referred to, to, and I always knew that. So, but we're still in. We're still we're going to be at some friends' house watching the game. A whole long day. Michigan State basketball game early in the oh. day at Ohio State. Go green. Uh, you got the puppy bowl. We covered this last year. We're not going to go into it. We got kids watching the Puppy Bowl, and then that's going to bleed eventually into the Super Bowl. All day affair. A lot of food, probably. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I think your son and I make our decisions on our favorite teams the same way. By colors. By color. Mm-hmm. Favorite. So color. you're rooting for whom? Um, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Because you like red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eagles, are, Eagles are the better team, but it's hard to go against Mahomes. Any? Do you watch the ads? Are you an ad analyzer for the Super Bowl? I think you have to. Yeah. 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 That's it's, it's part of the entire American experience. Uh, you got one you're looking for? I mean, the beer ones are always good. There's always one random like tech one. What was the one last year that was just a QR code on the screen? That probably made you mad, huh? It did. It did. It was such a waste of several million dollars, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. None of them stick with me. When the, like the literally... The only one that still sticks with me from my youth now is the Terry Tate office linebacker. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what company it was for, but it was fantastic to watch someone just hard tackle people in the office. It's great. Nice. Yeah. Immediately following the big game next week, Valentine's Day, big day for the industry. 
big holiday for the industry. Yeah, and good for the industry this year. It is middle of the week. What day is Valentine's Day this year? Tuesday. So you've already made your plans for Valentine's Day. No, yeah, clearly not. But the the goal is, if you're in the industry, you want a nice slow day. Monday, Tuesday are going to be your slowest days of the week anyways if you're on the restaurant side. And if you can build some extra business in because people go out on that day and also you're going to get that weekend business before... That's that's choice. It's when it falls on a Saturday that you kind of get screwed. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I remember working Valentine's Days in a, in a restaurant. Uh, a lot of two tops that day. Okay. I just want to throw this out there. This intro is way too long. We'll probably cut this. But did you follow anything with Netflix and their password sharing? Because you hate Netflix. So I just had to throw this in there. I don't hate Netflix. I just think Netflix is a standard B, always. There's nothing that's great on Netflix. It just it feels all AI-generated average. That's all. Like, it's easy for me to, to if, I, if I had to cut one, that would be the one I'd cut. A lot of people might be doing that. with their they, they put this thing in place with password sharing where your home base, you would have to log in from your device once every 30 days from that home base. So me, I would have to drive to my parents' house once a month with my television, I guess, and sign in or just pay the $15 a month. But I won't do it. It gets really expensive at the 4K one, too. Yeah. Who's doing that, though? Do you do that? Yeah. I mean, if you got the TV, okay. if you have the TV, you might as well maximize the, the, the its use. So what? That's that gives it a B plus rating at that point. Still, I mean, that's the problem. It feels like it's just quantity over quality. There's nothing that like I am driven to go see on Netflix outside of the maybe occasional comedy special that they get. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, stay tuned for more on that. The Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Fund, commonly referred to as the MRL Fund, is your association's premier benefit offering. This successful self-insured program was established in 1992 to help members control their long-term workers' compensation costs. Owned and operated by its members, the MRL Fund offers the same protection as an insurance company, but with many unique benefits and savings not available elsewhere. With industry-specific claims management and lower expenses, the fund passes the savings back to its members. The MRL Fund has returned $107 million back to its members since its inception, with over $7.4 million returned in 2023. This represents a 48% average return back, which is a substantial savings. The MRL Fund offers its members numerous loss prevention resources and loss control programs that are specific to the hospitality industry. This training has a strong focus on creating a safety culture in the workplace by educating owners and supervisors on ways to prevent accidents and keep their employees free of injury. For most members, the substantial savings is the primary reason why they insure with the MRL Fund. It has proven to dramatically reduce the overall costs of their workers' compensation insurance year after year. The MRL Fund is available to both large and small hospitality operators in Michigan. For more information, contact the MRL Fund at 800-686-6640 or visit mrlfund.org. Let's get into current events, Pineapple Express. This is the worst podcast we've ever done. <laughs> it's You can feel the energy, just hot. It's 
cold. It's raining outside. We've got all kinds of chaos going on at the office as we try to figure out how to move the entire staff and all of our stuff to a different location for three months. That's not your problem, listener, but that's the weight of what we're bringing. That's the energy we're bringing to this thing today. And we're going to try to do our best to, to muscle through, but yep, a few other things going on today. And Emily's eye is twitching. Just know that we're barely keeping it together right now. Some, some not keeping it together at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward. Did you say Pineapple Express? I did. Great. What's your number one story? Uh, Do not say Taco Bell. Well, you sent this to me. I Oh, the Taco Bell story about, well, yeah. I, you I, said Taco Bell. I didn't. It's because it's a restaurant business story. But the thing that fascinates me is somehow Pete Davidson continues to have positive returns. I mean, he has driven Taco Bell to have very successful breakfast numbers because he told people to eat casually, by the way, breakfast. And I, I like Pete Davidson enough. I just, it, it, he fascinates me because he drives an awful lot and I don't know exactly what it is he does. He's an influential guy. That's for sure. Give us a background. Who is Pete Davidson for any listeners not knowing? Sure. And uh, why are we talking about him? <laughs> uh, because he drives results. He's also working with um, Smartwater. He is a comedian. He's been around for a while, maybe 10 years now. Joe can back me up on any of my facts if they're wrong. He probably, he he's just exited from SNL. So he's a comedian on SNL for a while. He has a couple specials. He's an actor. He's been in several movies. He, I'm just going to skip over Saturday Night Live. I talked about it. Oh. I said he was on SNL. You want to get into your favorite skit? I don't know what he did on SNL, actually. He sort of would just sort of stumble into a a spot every once in a while, but not that often. That's that's his career. He's just stumbling around his career and finding really effectively. Yes. Yes. And and who all has he dated? So most recently, well, not most recently, but most famously, Kim Kardashian. He was engaged to Ariana Grande at one point. Mm -hmm. And you know who that is. You're Kids are a fan of her, right? He dated uh, someone else very recently. I can't think of her name. Yeah, he's just all over the dating scene and no one can figure out how. I mean, how did Kim Kardashian? It's crazy. So anyway, but he's also killing it for Taco Bell. Their same store sales rose 11% in Q4 thanks to the return of the cult classic Mexican pizza and their breakfast sales influenced directly by Pete himself. Did you see, since I'm, I'm going to tie it all together here, did you see that for the Super Bowl, they're making available full-size Mexican pizzas as if it were like a large pizza <laughs> in and of itself, but only literally for those in and around the Super Bowl? Oh, like attending the actual game? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did smart not move. see that. That was a smart move. But yeah, breakfast increased by 9% <laughs> because Pete Davidson loosely suggested maybe try a, maybe try a crunch wrap. At breakfast at Taco Bell. You ever had it? No. Me either. Any more Pete Davidson questions? I'm here to, I'm a fan, so I'm here to answer them. It's not answered. I still don't fully <laughs> grasp. My wife's a fan too. I, I, I think there's sort of like the, I can, I can help him. I can, <laughs> I can fix him. I can make him okay. Cause he's so sweet and nice. Let's, let's, let's make sure he's okay. Yeah. The guy has I a lot. I still of, don't get it. He has a lot of demons. Hmm. I appreciate his dark humor cause his dad died in 9-11 and he That's, always makes people uncomfortable about it. And I... I think that's part of it, it as well. Yeah. yeah. But you're on to something with the I can change him, I can save him mentality. Yeah. A lot going on there. Hmm. All right. Next up, how is inflation affecting Gen Z's restaurant use? Tell me. Technomic did a survey to see how 
different generations are reacting to inflation. And what is Gen Z? Tell me the what is the oldest someone in Gen Z could be? Like mid twenties? Yeah, yeah. Twenty five, I think. Joe? I feel like it's like like ninety eight to I don't know, um two thousand ten maybe is like the the birth window. So I feel like maybe a little younger than twenty five, but Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, so the in this article there was a statement that said that the millennials are aging out of their prime restaurant spending years. And I I found that personally offensive because I'm a millennial and that was a gut punch to how old I'm getting, I guess. But the punchline for Gen Z is they are not cutting back. They are just, they're not, not going, they're just making better decisions on what's on the menu. So... 48% of consumers say they're going to restaurants less often, so that's everyone that took the survey. But for Gen Z, it's only 34%. So they're still going to the restaurant, but they're making different decisions Right. once they're there. It's so ingrained in their absolute everyday life, and it has been since they were children, that there's no going back. It's not that long ago. It's a generation and a half ago where going to a restaurant was an outside treat. That would happen once a month, twice a month, maybe. It, you know, in the 70s, and then that really skyrocketed, and, and an entire culture, cultural change really has, has hit. And it's not going back. The pandemic didn't exactly reverse any of those trends. But, but yeah, it shows that the youngest generation that's engaged in this industry uh, or with this industry is going to make sure they continue to do so, even if they have to make some different choices to make sure that their cadence, the quantity by which they're using the industry stays, stays high. I think that's interesting. I think we got to get some stuff on here. We don't. We need data to back up the trend that Gen Z is walking away from alcohol. It's fascinating to me that there there are some trends increasingly of alcohol-free cocktails. We've talked about this a little bit on here, but I think that there's more there generationally that 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 generation is not aging into. I'm 21. We're gonna rip it hard because mm-hmm. that's what you do when you're 21. That. It's not that it's gone away. It's not that no one drinks, but that there is a notable difference in how that generation approaches alcohol consumption. That's interesting for an industry that produces it, frankly, uh, how it relates to the restaurant industry as well, because there are more margins tied to alcohol consumption, frankly, than there is in the food side of the equation. So uh, I think it's just some interesting things that, and I'm saying this without the full data to back it up, but have read enough anecdotally at this point to suggest that there's something there. Yeah, that's interesting. We talked in the last episode um, we had some audio issues in that last episode but we did talk about the trend of na beer and craft cocktails that didn't have alcohol in them but i've never thought about it segmented down to this newer generation turning 21 i think it's a response to the pandemic and my generation and yours over drinking way too much which the data shows but that would be interesting i'll see if i can find something on that And back to the takeaways for operators of this technomic data is comparing menu prices has never been easier for this generation. Because if they're ordering through a third party, for example, it's easy to toggle between if I want a burger, well, who has the cheapest burger? So keeping in mind um, that cross comparison as you're setting menu prices while still trying to have a margin, which is difficult within itself. And then just, yeah, keeping your menu items competitive. Meet Mabel from BYOD. She is the future of profitability and operational excellence. 
With over 400 APIs and a complete suite of digital operational tools, Mabel integrates and improves your tech stack to help your team make better decisions in real time. Your MRLA membership gives you discounted pricing, a free 60-day trial, and white glove onboarding. Learn more at byod.ai. You know what time it is. It's time for pineapple plaudits. Your favorite segment and mine. Well, it's the one with the most alliteration. Let's get it. Who do we got this week? So I'm sure we'll talk more about this in our interview, but on Sunday, Jim Holton did win the 2023 Distinguished Service Award honor at our annual chairman's dinner. The highest honor the Michigan Restaurant Lodging Association uh, bestows on someone, someone who's essentially dedicated their entire career to improving the hospitality industry in Michigan. So big win for Jim Holton, and and we're going to hear more from him specifically on that, but that's applauded. Definitely, without question. Another one on here, I found just doing some general research, Hotel Walloon, who you might remember won a Stars of the Industry Award uh, this past fall from us. They're hosting something in May, a murder mystery weekend. And I thought this was plot it worthy worthy because I would totally go to this. It's discussion worthy, that's for sure. I don't know <laughs> if it deserves plaudits or not per se, but that's very cool. And that would be a fantastic location. Hotel Walloon's fantastic anyways, but to host a murder mystery there, that would be pretty exciting. Yeah, so they're, they're bringing in a company who will basically run a show. There'll be actors, but the guests who purchase the package are also participating, trying to solve the crime. The package starts at $519 per person based on double occupancy. Additional guests are $220 per person. So you gotta, you gotta be all in. You're like, Murder Mystery Weekend's gotta be your thing. Yes. You're doing it, but if it, if it is, this is as good as it's going to get. But that includes all your meals, too, throughout the whole weekend, so... And possibly your murder. TBD. TBD. I have one more that I didn't put on this outline that I will that I wanted to bring up. Um, someone that I used to work with at King Cone in Perry, Michigan, just purchased her own ice cream store in Jackson, and she is, she may be Gen Z, she's 24, and she will be opening that this spring, and I just want to give her a shout out, because I'm super proud of her, and I think it's awesome to see the next generation of restaurant owners. Gen Z, into the ownership business, what's her name? Her name is Rebecca. Congratulations, Rebecca. Are you still working? Will you work some shifts at the, at the Cone this summer? If they need me, I'm just a phone call away. It's my, I won't say favorite job I've ever had, because I'm looking at my boss right now, but the cone has a special place in my heart. There you go. Love it. Okay, government affairs for Fork's sake. There's been some things happening this week. The governor did her budget proposal yesterday as we're recording this. Yep. Uh, We won't take too long with this. Proposal yesterday gives you the start of this process. The executive branch, the governor, puts forth a budget. The legislature then spends the next several months reviewing, uh, making changes as it sees fit and sends to the governor for signature. Uh, I think they're going to hope that they can do this at some point in June. When you have one party in control, you should be able to get get a budget done in that time frame. Republicans did. 
Republicans did uh, during the times that they had it all, and, and Democrats uh, could as well. Republicans never had this much of a surplus to work on, over $9 billion. That as the, the big shock, the big gasp yesterday was that the proposal would essentially appropriate almost all of it. So the changes between the changes made through the appropriations and through some of the tax cuts and, and tax specific uh, approach that the governor's trying to take, we'll talk about in a second, uh, would would eliminate essentially all but 250 million of the entire 9.2 billion uh, surplus. So uh, aggressive plans in place uh, uh, the, and then a vision for how they want to spend that money. Some things in there tied to this industry. Pure Michigan came in at $25 million in the recommendation. That is better than last year. Mm-hmm. Still less than the $40 million that we were able to help get appropriated at the end of the day. So we'll be having some conversations with legislators. I just, I don't know how many more times we have to have this conversation that it, it creates a return on investment. If we were, I always use the term Nebraska, if we were just a boxed in state that didn't have really exciting tours of amenities, maybe you wouldn't invest that much because you wouldn't get as much return. This is Michigan with more freshwater coastline than anywhere. Uh, in the world, this is where we should be investing, and there's an entire industry that that is nowhere near its ceiling that we that we could invest and get money back to this state based on on drawing more people here. So we'll keep making the case that uh, 25 million dollars not enough improvement from last year. Credit work credits do, but that we should be in in the at least 40 million dollar range like we were last year, especially when you're talking about having nine billion dollars of surplus. Uh, to work with. And this is a way to invest long term in the success of the state and its economy. So you see more from that. Uh, a decrease in going pro funds from where they are right now at record high. $35 million is still a good number. But because we have invested so much in trying to help this industry on training as it relates to these going pro talent fund dollars, to see that number decreased is a little discouraging. We'll be pushing and, and hopefully getting some higher appropriations in that front as well. So stay tuned for a lot more. I'm not going to we don't need to really pontificate about how the budget impacts everyone else. We really are focused in the limited way that we can try to support what this industry needs through through the budget process. Moving on from there, yesterday was an interesting and long day for the legislature that is trying to pass this massive tax proposal and includes retirement a retirement tax cut for most, not necessarily all retirees and all retirement income is in play. Something we have supported is the earned income tax credit, uh, a, a tax credit that would increase for low wage workers, encouraging work uh, and, and supporting those who are uh, lower on the scale. And some of those work in this industry uh, and it's a way to support this industry. But, but where some of the challenges really seem to be is a, a trigger decrease in the income tax, income tax for everyone is trying to be foregone or trying to eliminate that de- that that decrease and instead giving uh, these $180 rebate checks. And for this industry that is so much driven by pass-through entities, S-Corps, LLCs, who would actually experience not just personally but as a business that tax cut, mm-hmm. uh, they're a little frustrated. We're hearing it from we're hearing from them ab- about that and the $180 is not essentially uh, appeasing them and how they feel about uh, where this proposal is right now. So something we're monitoring closely. They did not have the votes yesterday in the House of Representatives to get this massive tax package across the finish line and out of the House of Representatives. So it's it's unclear what might need to happen for them to get the votes necessary to get that going. But stay tuned. All right. Thank you for the recap. One more bill on the docket, I think sometime today, 
we will be testifying committee on is the Elliot Larson bill. Yep. Uh, the association joined a coalition uh, with other organizations. There's legislation out there. Elliot Larson is the Civil Rights Act in the state of Michigan and expanding uh equal treatment under law, including employment uh, for those who are in the LGBTQ universe. And so it's something we support certainly as a, we view it as a, a, from a business trade association perspective as a workforce issue and, and being in, as inclusive and welcoming to people from all walks of life. If you've been to a restaurant hotel, you know that that's a, that, that community is a big part of this industry as well. And it, we should be projecting nothing other than a, a welcoming and in, an inclusive approach uh, for this industry. And so uh, we're happy to be a part of that coalition. I expect that to move today. And we do have one of our own members uh, testifying on behalf and support of, of that as well. All right. I think that covers everything for, for, for Fork's sake. Jim Holton is an established restaurateur in Mount Pleasant. Fire up chips. Born and raised in Pinckney, Holton fell in love with the Mount Pleasant community and brewing beer during his time studying at Central Michigan University. With assistance and encouragement from several Mount Pleasant, he helped tra- transform an old train depot into Mountain Town Station, a restaurant and brew pub that is still a staple in the community. Like his peers in the industry, Holton was motivated to continue to expand, which he did by making additions to Mountaintown Station and opening Camille's on the River, establishing Mountaintown Brewing Company and offering beer statewide, and opening Summit Smokehouse in town in 2019. With multiple locations in Mount Pleasant, Holton would go on to expand beyond Mount Pleasant to Alma with Alma Brewing Company and to St. John's with St. John's Brewing Company. Most recently, he purchased Mount Pleasant's The Green Spot Pub in 2021. Being involved as a community servant was also important to Holton, which led him to run for and win a seat on the Mount Pleasant City Commission, eventually serving three terms as mayor. Holton credits parts of his success due to his ability to interact and partner with other MRLA members. Wanting to give back to the organization that helped him as a little guy with three businesses, Holton would eventually serve as chairman of the then Michigan Restaurant Association in 2014. As recently as this past weekend, Jim Holton was awarded the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association's highest honor with the Distinguished Service Award. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. How exciting is that, huh? And Emily, that was uh, almost perfect. Dang it. What do you dang it? That's fantastic. All you you could possibly ask for. Jim, welcome. Thanks for taking a little time to uh, be with us today. You have been a requested guest on this podcast by others uh, who want to hear what you have to say and and possibly maybe more importantly, how you're going to say it. So <laughs> feel free to just let it all lose today. This is a safe space. Oh, uh, I like that. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> let me start with congratulations. The, the Distinguished Service Award the other night was a really special affair. You had your entire family surprisingly up from Florida. You did not know that, at least as far as I know, you didn't know that coming in, which was, which was really cool. And it, it, it even choked you up a little bit, which was, yeah. uh, which was nice to see, but tell us a little bit about that night when you received the award. Cause for those listeners who don't know the distinguished service award, when it is given, it is not made clear to anyone. And the person receiving it is, is unaware Nine out of 10 times, maybe even a little higher than that. So it it genuinely comes across as a a surprise. And then family members come in, maybe not as many as I saw from the Holden family. Uh, They came in droves, which was really cool. But tell me a little bit about that night and and what it meant to you. 
Yeah, it was um, it was definitely a surprise. You always think, you know, you always wonder who it might be uh, this year. And I've been in the association for such a long time. You're like, you know, I could probably be considered, but there's so many other great individuals that are going to be at this event that all of them are deserving of the DSA award. So you just sit back and and uh, and wait for it to happen. And you know, we had Bert and Ernie up there, um, the two gentlemen who won it uh, in the last previous years. And they start talking about this guy from Chicago washing dishes. And I'm like, all right, gosh, I wonder who was in Chicago, you know, and he started looking around and, and then they did a quick pivot and they started talking about a guy um, who rolled a golf cart on another fellow board member. I'm like, gosh, that sounds familiar. And then you come to the realization that they're talking about you. And that's when your whole body chemistry changes and you feel this incredible thermostat kick on. And all of a sudden I start feeling this heat starting up from my, my belly all the way through my chest to my head. And I'm like, holy shit, it's going to be me this year. You know, and it's like, okay, so now you're stunned. Now you're thinking, all right, you're going to have to go up on stage and you have to talk about something. And, and this isn't a prepared speech or anything. This is just you know, talking from the cuff and talking from emotion, but I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling good. My buddies are up on stage. These are all friendly people in the audience. And, and so I'm like, all right, you know, just, you know, I'll say thank you. It's an honor, all the good stuff that would go along with something like this. And so I get up on stage and everyone's standing and clapping and I'm, I'm hugging it out with my guys up there. And then Brad says, oh, and by the way, you have some people to come see you. And I spin around and there's my mom and dad from Fort Myers, Florida, my sister and brother-in-law, from Dallas, Texas. My son's there. Karen's, my wife's there with her sister. And that's when, unfortunately, the emotional part of me kicked in. And all of a sudden, here comes the, the tears. And now I'm, I'm battling a head cold that day anyway. So now everything's just flowing. I feel like Niagara Falls. No Kleenex to be found up there. I'm trying to hold back the tears and just smile. And I can't believe that they're out there. And then everyone sits down and they wait for you to talk. It's like, well, I'm not prepared for this. I'm, I'm flowing like Niagara Falls right now. And so I'm sniffling, I'm I'm wiping my nose like no other going, this is just going to be a nightmare. And this is going to be a disaster for me to talk about, you know, this award that I received. So, and, and so I think I said something up on stage, but I really don't remember what I said. It was just like, I, blank, I blanked out. I think I was in shock and blanked out. Just, I think I thanked everybody, kind of gave a little history of my background. And, and the main thing was, is how I really emphasized in that, that presentation or my acceptance was, you know, before I was on the the MRA board in its day, now the MRLA board, is I was just my own, I was an independent restaurant guy just trying to figure life out and having all these problems trying to operate a restaurant. And when I became part of the family of the board, it's just they were also going through these problems. But now I had someone to talk to about these issues and, and how they worked them out from large restaurant chain operators down to small guys like myself. And uh, and that's what really drew me into the family. And it was uh, it was a very great moment for me to say that to that group and to accept that award award. And uh, I just feel honored that I was one that was chosen, to be honest with you. It was a great feeling. And uh, it's still resonating today with people calling me. I mean, I've had old board members call me. Uh, Jeff Tuma called me yesterday to congratulate me. Friends from across the United States, even people from South Carolina who thought that they had a restaurant called Mountain Town Station in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, <laughs> which is kind of nice. So. The press release did get picked up in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. So that was pretty funny. That was fun. Yeah, I think they pulled it down finally, realizing that's not one of their own down there. But it was uh, it was fun. So, no, it was a great honor. Um, 
it was uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was. I was very tired at the end of the night because of the adrenaline that was going through me and and all those uh, emotions. So it was wonderful. Well, it was well deserved. A lot of everyone in that room felt that, and it was. I think if there was surprise, it's not that you won it; it's that you went through that entire speech. They know the colorful palette by which you, is your vocabulary, and that you uh, got through the entire speech with just appreciation, sincerity, and not one, not one curse in the entire in the entire speech. That's how you knew. That's that's actually when I knew that it really was a surprise, and you and you and you were not prepared in any way, shape, or form. You know, and I do moment. a filter, Justin. You gotta trust me. I do. I mean, I was mayor for a while, <laughs> so I had to have a filter. I was on camera. I had to talk to the press and. Things that I want to say sometimes get suppressed into a more articulated uh, response. So, so I do have it, but uh, but yeah, it was again, it was a hundred percent surprise. Karen, my wife, pulled that off like no other. I mean, she even faked out garage doors opening and closing at my house in Mount Pleasant <laughs> that they were going either shopping or my son was going to work. Uh, those type of things. So they they pulled out all the stops. They knew my tracking abilities. Uh, which I really wasn't looking, but if case I did, uh, they would have got me that way as well. So they got me. It was it was very exciting. I wish I had more time to spend with my family because they were leaving the next day. We had a board meeting the next day, and so they're back home. But uh, it was uh, it was an honor. It was great. And all of this almost never was. You uh, you went yep. to school to become a weatherman. Something yeah. I can absolutely see. Mm-hmm. Meteorologist Jim Holton. That 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 has a nice ring to it. It makes sense. How did you diverge from that path to begin with? You know, uh, that was one of my plans I really wanted to do. Um, I didn't want to be on broadcast TV. You know, I have a face for radio. And so I was looking at trying to do something with the- It's a, uh, it's a world-class FAA. goatee. I don't, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I want to do aviation meteorology. I wanted to route planes around uh, potential storm uh, problems for aviation. Oh, I didn't know that. That's actually really cool. Um, it was very specialized, and, and that's what I was looking for. I don't know, maybe end of your sophomore year, early junior year, and you turn 21, uh, women's studies, Bermuda Triangle, and a class called differential equations, which is a very difficult class or was for me. And uh, it kind of diverted my attention away from meteorology. And uh, and I've also started brewing some beer at that time, just home brewing, craft beer brewing, and things like that. And elected to uh, to not continue to pursue that, that weatherman uh, degree meteorological degree and i just moved into uh business and uh, economics i got a bachelor of science in economics and business administration and moving forward going you know probably it would be a good degree to have because i i I like the entrepreneurial spirit i like business i was actually doing computer work that's what uh, funded me through school building computers in the day that used to build them and sell them downstate in the detroit area market so i drive down there a lot and sell those units and come back and go to school and that's what i did so and so I figured business would be a good thing to run into. So that's what that's how it happened. You know, when we started moving forward toward the end of my college career. And as I continued to brew beer, I thought, wow, you know, I went to a restaurant and brewery in, in Schaumburg, Illinois, called the Millrose Brewing Company. And these beautiful copper kettles and all these different flavors of beer came out in a sampler platter. We sat by a fireplace outside on a patio. Not that this is cool. This is what I want to do. I want to be a brewmaster. I want to brew beer in a restaurant environment. And that's how the idea came forward about starting the future restaurant mountain town station here in downtown. So you had that's how it the, all came about. You had one of the very first licenses to do so as a micro number six, state, right? Yeah. Number six for a brew pub license, you know, bells was in work and their magic founders. Those are the two micros, but in, in brew pubs, there weren't many of them out there. 
at the time. Rochester, I think, had one. Maybe it was Rochester Hills. But yeah, so we were number six to be the brew pub. And it was funny, you know, you open up a brew pub in Mount Pleasant and people are like, can I just get a Bud Light? You know, <laughs> yeah, we had Bud Light. That's what you have with a brew pub license. You can have a full liquor license as well. So I said, well, it's, if you're going to drink something, at least you're drinking it here. So you're the Bud Light or you can have a Gambler's Golden Ale or a Raspberry Wheat. So it was interesting. So have both. And then we were just kind of ahead of our time. And then the craze really started coming through uh, the state of Michigan. I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, because you were there at the very beginning when it really yeah. was just barely more than a hobby and, and no one really picking up on it from a from its economic uh, opportunity. And then in the you can tell me when you think it really took off. I view it as the 2010s. It just it went from a sideshow that was that had a niche popularity with a certain small population to just exploding to well over 200 licenses in the state. How, how did we get there and, and what was it like to, to watch that explode the way it did? And then and frankly, then where we are now, do you think we are at a, a new stable point? Uh, where do you think the industry is on on, on in, going forward in Michigan? Yeah, that was uh, it was exciting to see. And I was I was glad to see it start to expand because people were getting more and more interested in drinking craft beer. And that, of course, drove the demand for people to open up places. And you would hear the news everywhere. They're opening up a brewery in such and such city and it gets excitement. It had the press was there and people thought it was just that. Wow, it's cool. They're manufacturing a product that we can drink here. We just don't have to have the the big bottled beer everywhere everyone was drinking from there so it allowed you to enjoy different flavors now before prohibition there were thousands of breweries across the united states and michigan and also had a lot of breweries and then prohibition knocked those guys out and they never came back and that's one good thing that jimmy carter did as president and not many people know this that he was the one that allowed the legally you could homebrew before it was illegal to do that and so he allowed that to happen and people started just in their basements like I did, you know, on my stovetop with a with an electric burner. And I, I bought a whole bunch of old Grolsch bottles that had that flip top on them because I didn't have a crowner. So you just you put them in the oven, you sanitize the bottles and so on and so forth from there. And, and it started to explode. And you're right. It really in the 2000s, 2005, uh, 2006, it just kept going and going and going. And, and we weren't immune to it either. We moved from we had a brew pub, but also a microbrewing concept as well, because people were asking for our beer outside of Mount Pleasant that they could pick up in different areas of the state. So we had the best of both worlds legally to do this. And and it kept on going, going. And we were at a point when we opened up our microbrewery in 2008 that we could not keep up with the demand. So the orders would come in, we'd fulfill about 50% of the orders because we need 50% to go to another distributor and 50% to this guy over here. So uh, we couldn't keep up. We couldn't get equipment fast enough. We couldn't brew fast enough. It was just, you know, on a shoestring budget, we were making things happen. And then I think we are at that point where we're at saturation on the microbrewery side. I think people going to the store to buy beer, farther you get away from Michigan, they don't want Michigan beer. They want Ohio beer. If they're in Indiana, they want Indiana beer. So so that microbrewery side has, has stabilized, if not shrunk a little bit, but the brew pubs are still slowly making their way in their towns. And every town will probably have a small brewery in it. And you'll see that. And that's why my decision to open up in Elma and in St. John's were predicated on every town should have a small local brewery. And if someone's going to do it, it probably should be me. So my idea was, if you're going to do something, it can't be more than an hour away. And so St. John's is my farthest away, and that's 42 minutes from Mount Pleasant. Elma is 16 minutes away. 
and let the towns really enjoy their local their local brewery and restaurant. You have to have good beer, but you also have to have good food. Hand in hand, those will make those concepts successful, and uh, we move forward. I think you're you're at a saturation point, but there could be a few smaller um, brew pubs open up. I don't think you'll see the micros moving as much anymore. Trainwreck been your most successful beer economically? Yeah, that's our flagship. That is 50% of our sales wow, on the micro 50%. side. And you know, yes. it's, it's like anything. You put a a duck on a label of wine and they'll buy that, 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 that bottle because it has a duck on it or kangaroo. And so for us, it used to be our winter warmer beer that was just kind of a stronger alcohol beer to warm you up in the wintertime. And it sold okay. And then we'd say, you know what? You know, I drank that beer and I was just a train wreck when I left your place. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's different. I'm like, train wreck. Huh. So I was able to go ahead and get the trademark for that across the United States, train wreck ale. And it took me some time to get that, but I got it. And that that is our flagship beer right now. That's out and about. People enjoy that. What is your favorite of your own beers? I am an equal opportunity drinker. <laughs> and so it really depends on the season. Right now, it would be the, the darker beers, the stouts, the porters. Um, we do a lot of cask conditioning. So we have a lot of uh, bourbon barrels that we get in. Ironfish is a great supporter of our program. So we buy their their used bourbon barrels and we'll put our train wreck in that. We'll put our stout. We'll put a porter in there. We'll put all these different styles of beer. Let them sit there for eight to 10 months. And then we we carbonate and sell those off. And you just get that wonderful bourbon barrel that's been aged in along with the beer itself. And so that's what I'm into right now because it's the cold season. That warms you up nicely. And so usually in a brandy snifter, you know, six or eight ouncer, and it uh, it goes to work on you and makes you feel warm inside. <laughs> like it. Well described. Will you guys lean into the non-alcoholic trend with your beer brewing at all as we're seeing yeah, that so take that, off more? That is moving forward more on the craft side. And we actually, I tasted one at our senior manager meeting on Wednesday, yesterday there. He had a non-alcoholic beer. There's a yeast strain out there that will allow you to ferment and not add a significant amount of alcohol to a beer. So it's still not a zero, 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 but it's like a 0.05%. There's just a slight touch of alcohol in it. Um, you probably have more in your orange juice than you do in that beer. But yeah, we're starting to dip into that a little bit on the non-alcoholic side. We we kind of shied away from trying to do a gluten-free beer mm. um, because of the products used to make that, which is sorghum. And I just don't particularly care for the flavor profile. But we go with the fact we, we can do ciders. So we have different ciders. Those are gluten-free. And, and so we go that route itself and different flavored ciders uh, on that aspect of it. So that's our route into the gluten-free style of, of fermentable beverage uh, from there. But we do have one non-alcoholic beer right now. Uh, it tastes, uh, it's different. You know, if you want polite. a non-alcoholic beer, polite. we have it. It's just something I wouldn't sit there and have 20 pints of it. Sure. Yeah. The the craft portion of that is taking off. So I th- that's correct. Yeah. And so that it's a darker one. So it's more of a brown ale. And I think we have to move more into a lighter non-alcoholic. And the brewmasters are starting to play around with that now as well. You were very generous in helping to facilitate what I still think is the best team building exercise we've ever done at the association. We had a lot of fun. We had a good debate on how it, how it would look, what it, would, what it should be, but you helped uh, build what we call MRL. This is obviously pre-merger as well. So just the MRA creating our own specific beer and and the staff got to pick out the hops. The staff got to pick out uh, a variety of the ingredients inside. And we had some some heated discussion and debate over what should be in there. 
but we still have the bottled finished product. Uh, what what did you think about that entire process? What did you think about the beer itself that we created, Jim? Well, let's start. Everyone loves to brew beer, right? Everyone wants to be a brewmaster. So to be a brewmaster for a day is always exciting for for a group like you guys had. And it's just it's just fun. And we put you to work. You're putting the grain in. You're stirring. You are picking out ingredients. You're measuring the hops. You're picking out the hops. You're smelling. You're tasting. Uh, it's just an exciting day uh, to have a group in there. And the brewmasters love it as well because it gets them out of that mundane day-to-day, I'm going to wash this tank today. I'm going to fill this keg today. Yes, we're going to brew train wreck. You know, we know it's 2,200 pounds of Schedule 60 malt and all this other stuff that we're going through. So to have someone new in there is exciting. It's also fun to watch people that have never brewed beer pick ingredients out to try to come up with a recipe <laughs> like the MRA folks did. And, you know, the brewmasters, we kind of look at each other like, what in the blank blank? But, okay, if this is where you want to go, this is outstanding. We can do this for you. And and I gave the instruction, instructions, you know, don't really guide them. Let them have some fun with this. And so, and they did. And the group was fun. And they uh, they created a very distinct ale. Um, I think that's the nicest thing to say. <laughs> very distinctive. It had a, a fun flavor profile. Now, let's it. just let's just get into it, Jim. You told me it tasted like shit, and that we had to get rid of it, and that you that you put a separate beer into our bottles because it would have possibly poisoned anyone who consumed. Wait, it. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah no, it it wouldn't have sickened you, but you may not have <laughs> drank more than one uh, from there. The the finished product in the in the blend of ingredients made it a very harsh bitter beer that uh that it was tough to palate how about that and i <laughs> yep. said to myself i said you know what if i want to put this in a bottle i don't want to waste this so yep. let's put something else in the bottle so we elected to uh blend in one of our own uh stock beers that we had in the can <laughs> and uh, in a way we went with that so you we, remember we we, that. we did the big unveil at the summer board meeting and we're all patting each other on the back like, this turned out pretty good this we're good, good. yeah this is great i'm like and I'm just smiling away going, you guys did a great job. This is awesome. <laughs> hey, Justin, I got to tell you about something. You know, that's it. came off the side and said, yeah, we had to we had to make a, a, a late decision to make an adjustment before we can put this in the package. But uh, but it was fun. I wouldn't mind doing another one with you. You know, we just have to figure out what we're going to call it, obviously. Bring the team down again and uh, and have some fun. Bring the team up, I should say. Uh, you know, I've got ideas. I want to create an India India. India Pale Lager, IPL. Okay. P- pineapple infused and call it, what, what are we going to call it? Uh, I don't remember. Hopspitality. Oh, yeah. Hopspitality. Okay. It, it sounds like hospitality if you were dyslexic, but then you, you, you're you putting the hops in there front. Uh, you tell me which one uh, it should be, but it should be pineapple infused because the pineapple wait. is our logo. We'll and then you probably the... put something else in there because it'll taste like garbage. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm, of course formulating a possible recipe and using, I got, there's a type of hop that would add a little citrus flavor to it. And then we'll get some, a real pineapple puree and we'll put it in there and then uh, make it happen. How about that? Yes. I'm in. And, I'm and in. the pineapple be, is it right side up on the label or is it upside down on the label? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll see. We'll never know the label. Not, machine not a lager for swingers. <laughs> it could get out of hand on the labeler from there, but yeah, that'll be fun. that would be fun. We just have to figure out, uh, how many gallons do you want? 10,000, 15,000 gallons? We can make it happen for you. I mean, the commercial reality of this decision, I think, is 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 almost limitless. And yep. I'm going to tell you this. After the 
the headquarters reorganization, this team is going to need not just a beer, but we're going to need some team building, yeah, uh, bringing us all back together. So uh, this is a this is a perfect idea. I like this. Actually, when I can use a beer together, today. <laughs> figure out a schedule. We'll make it work for you. How about that? We'll make it work. All right. Emily's got a line of questions. I'm getting the look like I'm monopolizing the entire conversation here. So Emily's got a couple of things and then we'll let you go. No, you guys have been crushing it. Not to, not to tee up too boring of a question, but um, you did serve as mayor of Mount Pleasant for three terms. And I'm curious how your time serving as mayor was impacted by your business ownership, the the leadership that you had through hospitality or vice versa. How did that relationship play out between those two roles? <clears throat> so business and politics do not mix well at all. And so I knew moving forward into city politics um, could be a problem for my business. And it and it was a little bit, I believe. You know, you make a decision in the community that pretty much half the people aren't going to be in favor of, you will probably exclude 50% of your customer base or potentially 50%. That's the hard thing to do. Even though, you know, my motto when I was mayor is I'm going to vote either yes or no on this issue. And I'm going to explain why. And I'm hoping you'll respect my decision. Why? Even though you might not agree with it, I hope you respect it. No, they didn't like you. You're an ass and uh, we're not going to support your business. And we hope you go to hell type of thing. And that's unfortunate. And that happens not only in the local politics, but in all politics out there in the world. So even though we are a nonpartisan board up there, there was a lot of that going on. So I believe my my business was impacted by it. I believe it was impacted in a negative way. But I wanted to support my community and my thought process on driving the community to the next level in terms of development, in terms of walkable, bikeable, enjoyable community of Mount Pleasant, because I love this community. I came here in 1989. Uh, as an import from Pinckney, like you said earlier, and I came to school and I stayed in the dorm room, never really made Mount Pleasant my home. I would leave and go back home on the weekends a lot of times and things like that. As I moved out of town and moved out of the dorms and, and was able to rent a place in town, I was right downtown Mount Pleasant and I stayed over a summer. I really got to enjoy the community itself. It, it's slower pace in the summertime. You know, I picked CMU because I didn't want to have this the super school experience like a U of M or Michigan State or University of Iowa that was just building after building and you're just a, a student number. There's just massive amount of people. I want something a little bit smaller and Central uh, allowed me to have that in a very small community, which was cool. And so that's when I fell in love with the community and ended up buying my first house uh, May 15th, 1992. And uh, and I was still in college at the time, running out rooms to try to pay for the mortgage and those type of things. And and I made it my home. And I said, you know what? I like it. And if I can get myself a job that I don't have to drive hundreds of miles a week, which I was doing down Detroit, selling computers and things like that, trying to pay my way through school, that uh, I would love to do something like that. And I was able to do that with my Mountain Town Station restaurant, which was only, what, half a mile away from my home. So I could walk it most times. And sometimes I had to walk it just because I, maybe I had a libation after work or something like that. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm uh, getting involved in politics, starting off in the planning commission for seven years and then city commission and mayor three terms uh, for 10 years. It was very fulfilling. I'm glad I'm retired from it. Let a new generation take over and move forward with their ideas and things like that. But there are still things in the community that I could look at and say, yeah, I had a hand in that that barrier-free bridge uh, going over the river. I had a hand in the splash park when I hear the kids giggling 
jumping around in the, in the water, splashing all over the place in a hot, you know, summer day. I had handed a lot of these things and, and that was good. And that, that's the fulfilling part of it. Yes, I might have taken a hit in business, but I'm still here and I uh, was able to grow the business. So, well, you know how I feel. That's it. You have, in my estimation, all the skill sets to be a very successful elected official at even higher than the local level. Is there any chance that you would pursue elected office again in the future? Zero times zero. So you're saying <laughs> there's a chance? There's chance. Uh, I don't believe so, Justin. You know, I, I'm i a guy right now that will support the candidate as much as I can do. You know, I, I know all my candidates, oh, excuse me, all my officials that are around my local areas, even from St. John's through Elma and up through here. And, and being a part of the MRLA, doing the Capitol Days, meeting politicians, you know, uh, has taught me a lot. Know your representatives well. Make sure they have your cell number. Um, so when an issue were to come up or they have a question, they can call you and have their number as well to call them. And, and that taught me a lot in politics. And the MRA ha- did that with me. And they they taught me how to how to interact with your your state and local representatives and your national representatives as well, because they need to hear from the, those specific industries. Mine happens to be hospitality. It's the restaurant side, beer brewing side. And I can give them some very educated information, whether they act on that in the way that I want them to. Yes, that might happen. It might not happen. But at least they listen and, and hear the concerns from their constituents and their marketplaces. Well, you are nine years away now from being chair of this association and still someone we count on all the time to help educate legislators, understand the perspective of this industry. I think we're better. We're in really good shape having Senator Houck of Mount Pleasant or of that area uh, chairing a committee that's relevant to this industry because right in his backyard, we have you helping him educate and understand what it's like for an operator to be dealing with all these things. So that's huge. So we appreciate that you are still committing your time uh, and support to this association, which helps the industry. So. We're gonna let we're gonna we're gonna let you get out of here uh, with just a few lightning round questions. I believe Emily's got the first one teed up. Go. I do. What is your favorite style of pizza? I like a stuffed crust deluxe pizza with a lot of toppings. I love the flavor bounce of everything, and I include feta cheese on top of it, and that's just boom. It's a blast in my mouth. I love it. Wow. wow. Interesting. There you go. That might be the lead audio right there. All right, that makes sense to me. Next one up. How many times in your life do you think that you have yelled fire up chips? 3,622 times. Wow. Got to be way God. more than that. <laughs> it's a lot more. That was just this year. You know, when we beat Western Michigan University in basketball by one point with eight seconds left on the clock. Two Sorry, weeks Ken ago, There was a lot of fire up chips on that. And then I made a nice little phone call to one of our other previous DSA winners who happens to be from Western Michigan University about that game. So, yes, fire up chips. Fire up chips. Former trustee of that university yeah. as well. All right. What's your go-to cocktail or any other adult beverage? I'm going to guess it might be beer, but what is your go-to after a tough day? I love a gin Holton. A gin Holton. Oh, that a little is play there. Uh, three blue cheese stuffed olives and some nice Bombay Sapphire gin on the rocks. Hold the vermouth. Wow. The gin Holton. The gin Holton. Or as my wife says it, you just want gin on the rocks. Okay, I'll take that too. So, but I sound the gin Holton. It's actually a drink at Camille's Prime they put on. Nice. That might be the title of this episode. You never know. Yeah. Uh, what is your most used streaming platform? Streaming platform. So, like watching 
TV type of thing? That's yeah, but you can answer it however you. Yeah, however I mean streaming. Like. I mean, I I'm a cord cutter, so I'm with YouTube TV. Yeah, uh, I I do like the documentaries on Netflix. You know, I, I'm a big fan of those uh, from there. So I'm all over the board. I'm all over on those. So a lot of good stuff. I'm more on education TV than I am the sit back and entertainment and laugh type of stuff. Um, so I love when new stuff comes out to learn from it. I'm so glad you said that because Justin hates Netflix. So what? I don't hate Netflix. It's just lower on the priority list. There's nothing sure. I'm, I'm out there needing to see. Can't possibly cut that subscription because they must have it for X, Y, or Z. That's that's it is pretty expensive now. I tell you, it's up to that 19.99 range right now. Oh, so. do you do you get the 4K? Yes. See, I think it's I think that's ridiculous. I love it. You're gonna have I mean, a 4K you're, TV. I, anyway, you're gonna do it. Go big. Go big or go home. To be honest with you. Which do you want to weigh in on this one? Which Detroit sports team do you think makes the playoffs first? And who is the best Central Michigan University alumni uh, in in any sport ever? Well, obviously, um, it's the Detroit Lions who are going to be in the playoffs next year. They have to be. There's no doubt about it. With this year and what I've seen next year, it is going to the playoffs. I didn't say Super Bowl, but I did say playoffs. Big game. um, You never know. Next year is going to be awesome. And, oh, shoot, best alumni from CMU. Well, I would have said years ago uh, a person by the name of Antonio Brown, but not ever again. Yeah. So, you can't, you can't so, that so that's out. Oh, there's so many out there. Fisher's about, about out there right Thunder now. Thunder Dan Marley. Mar- Marley's outstanding. He was just back in town uh, last week. Probably um, Dan. At, at Abasca. His son actually is a player on the Central Michigan Chippewa basketball team right now. Um, nice. So he comes back to watch him. Just good people overall. Yeah. We have a, you know, we're not the, we're not going to get the TV like the States and the Michigans of the world and the Rutgers and stuff like that. But we have a great athletic program, great student athletes uh, that go on uh, to do good things in, in this world. And with that fire up chips, fire up chips. Thank you, everybody. This was exciting. Jim, appreciate it. Congratulations again on the award. And thanks for taking some time to be on what's with the pineapple. I uh, can't wait for the pineapple ale hospitality coming your way hospitality pineapple what's it called again hopsitality hopsitality yeah i can't even say it so all right everybody have a good life thank you (laughs) thanks jim thank you you.